Today we're starting here uh, with the first psalm. And the book of Psalms, for those of you that don't know, the book of Psalms was like the, the hymn book of the nation of Israel. And most of the psalms are songs that were written. All of these had music that accompanied them. Most of them are, are prayers or exhortations, uh, but then some of them are instructional as well. And the first psalm is really, it's the appropriate psalm to begin with. And because it, it reminds us of the importance of God's word. So it's, it's kind of the introductory into the book with the, the emphasis on our relationship with the word of God. So we're going to focus in on just that whole idea of the impact of God's word upon our lives today. Now, we, we read here that the, the person who delights in the law of the Lord and so forth, that person will be like a tree. And what we want to talk today about is how do we transition into being like a tree? Now, the, the biblical picture of humanity is stated for us in a number of places, but Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8, uh, lays it out very well. All flesh is grass, and all the loveliness all its loveliness, like the flower of the field, the grass withers, the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So this is the, the, the general picture of humanity. All flesh is as grass. And the idea here is that it, it, everything's temporary. Everything is fading. There is a, a brief glory, but it inevitably it fades and, and vanishes. And, and of course, that's true. All you have to do is look back throughout history. There have been some great civilizations in the past. You can go to different places in the world today. You can find evidence of those civilizations that once existed, but they're no longer there. And we can think about the, the, the famous men and women uh, throughout the history of the world. They came, they uh, made their mark, and yet they ended up vanishing from the scene. They, they had their moment of glory, their moment of splendor, their moment of power, but that all passed because that's just the reality, right? That's the reality for every single human being. Um, it's especially the reality for those who are outside of the, a relationship with God. So the picture is all flesh is as grass. I remember, I have this, this picture forever etched in my mind of um, a young victorious Cassius Clay standing over a defeated Sonny Liston. And I grew up in a family where boxing was a big thing and my dad was a big boxing fan and and uh, he went to that fight. And I remember he came home very depressed because he wanted Sonny Liston to win. And uh, Cassius Clay, who later became Muhammad Ali, won. And, and I remember that, that picture there of, of Cassius Clay standing there victoriously over Liston, who was on his back on the mat. And at that moment, that young man looked like a tree. He looked invincible. He looked that no one would ever cut him down. But you know... Muhammad Ali recently passed away. 
and looking at him at uh, a, you know, a relatively long, uh, young age for these days, um, in his early 70s, and seeing just how uh, the grass had withered and the flower had faded. That's, that's, that's life, right? But what we want to look at here is the contrast that's given. The general picture is all flesh is as grass, but here the passage is telling us about those who are like a tree. So we can be like a tree. And obviously there are some very uh, significant differences between grass and a tree. Let me give you just a few things that you would probably figure out on your own, but um, I'll help you out here. Grass is ephemeral. Grass is ephemeral. Ephemeral means it is around for a very short time. And so the, the duration of grass, that's why all flesh is as grass. It's just, it, it's, its lifespan is very brief. Where trees, uh, on the other hand, um, their lifespans can be amazingly long. There are trees today, in California, there are trees today that uh, some say are 5,000 years old. When I was in Israel recently and visiting the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane means the olive press, and it's, the Garden of Gethsemane was filled with olive trees. And there today in that area where the Garden of Gethsemane was back in the days of Jesus, you have olive trees there in that garden that are, they, they date back to just, just about back to the time of Christ. So they're close to 2,000 years old. So you see the contrast. Grass is temporal. Its life is very short-lived. Trees have this amazing longevity. Grass is easily trampled down or uprooted. And of course, that's Again, it's, it's kind of obvious. Easily uh, trampled down, easily uprooted. Uh, we have a new dog, and some of you might know that. He's an adorable dog, and he's a wild, you know, animal. He's a beast. And the very first thing that he decided to do upon adjusting to his new home, his backyard, is rip up the grass and dig a hole. And, you know, we had a really nice thing going with our lawn in our backyard, but he has, uh, I don't know if this is the way they just stake their claim. He's dug a little hole there. But the other day, uh, my son was kind of wrestling around with him out in our front yard. Now, the backyard's one thing. Okay, that's, that's fine. You can understand that. But here he is out in our front yard. Our, our front lawn still looks really good. And they're out in the front lawn and they're horsing around and my son's kind of slapping them around and you know, the dog jumps on him and he whacks him and, and the dog, you know, kind of falls over. And there on the ground, before he jumps back up, he just turns around, grabs a big old chunk of grass and just rips it out by the roots and then jumps up and goes about playing again. And it's like, what? now I got a hole in the grass in my front yard. It's just so easily uprooted. But a tree is much different, isn't it? It's not easy to uproot a tree. It can be extremely difficult. Pastor Chuck, um, among other things, he used to love to come to our house over the years and 
always, you know, there was always a project. He, you know, wanted to work on something when he would come and visit us. And, and oftentimes he had decided, you know, we need to get rid of a bunch of trees that are here in your yard. And okay, that's fine. We'd, we'd bring down the, the chainsaw and we'd cut the trees down. But then you've got 10 tree stumps that are left and you got to get rid of those too. And I can't tell you how many hours we spent uh, digging out these tree stumps. It was hard, hard work. I remember when I was really young, Charlotte and I were first married, and he had this giant coral tree in his backyard, and it was kind of brittle, and the branches were breaking off, and he was afraid it was going to fall in the house. So he decided, you know, we're going to cut this thing down, then we're going to pull out the stump. And, you know, it's like the roots on the tree... They, they went out in, into the ground like the branches went out into the sky. So by the time we dug this stump out, we had like a canyon. We had to dig a canyon to get this stump out. And then you had to bring a truck with a winch and a big chain. Hey, my point is simple. <laughs> Trees are not easily uprooted. God wants us to ultimately be like a tree, not easily uprooted. But then there's one other comparison. Um, grass does not provide any nourishment for human beings. I was corrected on this because I was reminded by a few people that, that cows and sheep eat grass. I understand that, but I don't eat grass. And I don't think you eat grass unless you eat wheat grass, which of course that's an acquired taste, but uh, normally we don't eat grass, right? <laughs> There's no nourishment in grass. But a tree, and the tree that we're talking about here in the text, is a tree that brings forth fruit, and it nourishes the body. And so this is, this is what God says, that although all flesh is as, is as grass, that those who meditate in his word will become like a tree. So that's what we want to look at, how to go from being like grass to being like a tree. So here in the text, the first thing we see is that if we're going to be like a tree rather than like grass, uh, we cannot be planted among the ungodly. We cannot be planted among the ungodly. Now, um, as, as believers, of course, God calls us to be in the world for the purpose of influence. And it's a mistake, and it always has been a mistake, when Christians withdraw from society. We're, we're not to isolate ourselves. We're not to go off into... Uh, some kind of a hermitage or, or something like that. Now the, now, the church has done that. Christians have done that over the ages. And in doing that, uh, it's failed to have the impact that God wants us to have. So when we're talking about not being planted with the ungodly, it doesn't mean that we don't have association. It doesn't mean that we don't have relationships. We do, but the objective is that we are there to influence rather than be influenced. It's the influence of the ungodly that is the problem. When the ungodly start uh, impacting us to behave more like them rather than us being able to communicate 
the, the truth of who God is to them, that's when the problem arises. So, so if we're going to be like a tree, we have to make sure that we're not planted among the ungodly in the sense that, that the ungodly are having the stronger influence. But then secondly, it says that the person who becomes like a tree is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. So this is the positive side of it. Delighting in the law of the Lord. This book that you hold in your hand, this book that's in front of me, this book that we're reading from today, this is the law of the Lord. It's the word of the Lord. And listen, there's no, there's nothing like it in the world. Nothing. There's no comparison. There are billions of books in the world, obviously. And there's really good books. There's some great books in the world. But there's nothing that compares with the Bible. There's, there's nothing like it because only the Bible is the word of God. And because the Bible is the word of God, it is living and it is active. And it has a supernatural ability to transform us from being grass, which is temporary, which is uh, unstable, which is unfruitful, has the, the ability to to transform us into to a tree. So when we think of our Bibles, we need to think of it as this is the most valuable thing I possess. We really need to think of it that way. You know, years ago, Queen Elizabeth II, uh, she said concerning the Bible, she said, the Bible is our most treasured possession, speaking of the country itself. The Bible is our most treasured possession. Do we see the Bible like that ourselves? Do we delight in it to the point where we realize this is the most precious thing we have? This is the most uh, wonderful gift that God has given us, his word. And, you know, it's true. Wherever God's word has gone in truth, whatever life it has touched, Whatever nation it has influenced, it's always been for the benefit and the strengthening and the blessing of the individual or the nation. So we delight in the law of the Lord and they meditate in it day and night. So meditating in God's word. Now, this is where I want to take a few minutes and, and talk about this, meditating in God's word. You see, in our current cultural situation, we don't spend a whole lot of time meditating. We're too busy. We're in too big of a hurry. Everything has to be done real quickly. You know, we, we just want to skim over things. And that cannot be the case when it comes to the Bible. If, if I'm just skimming over the Bible... If I'm just reading over a few verses, you know, even daily, just to kind of make my way through and get my, okay, I got my few verses in for the day, and then I'm looking at my life, and I'm feeling more like grass that's being trampled and uprooted and all of that, rather than a tree and the stability, there, there's a reason for that. It's because I'm not taking the time. We've got to meditate on God's word. Now, the word meditate means... It means to speak to yourself and to ponder. So when we come to God's word, 
we have to take the time to talk to ourselves about it as we read through it. We have to think about it. We have to, to ponder it. And again, so much in our culture is, is working against that. We're, we're always in a hurry. We, we've always got to rush off to the next thing or, or we've got some other thing that's vying for our attention. And look, I'm including myself in this because I have those same kinds of struggles. But I know that this is the requirement. If I am going to, to transition from grass to a tree, I have got to meditate in God's word. So let's walk through that. What does that look like? Well, obviously we have to read it. We have to read God's word. And listen, like I said already, there's a lot of great books in the world and I love reading and I've got lots of books, but there's, there's nothing like the Bible. So make sure that that is at the top of your reading list. Make sure that, that that's, that's there. Now, when I was a young Christian, um, I'll tell you, I did not, I, I literally did not go anywhere without my Bible. And whenever I had a free moment, I would just open up my Bible wherever I was. You know, if I was waiting for something, you know, I'd open my Bible and I would uh, just read a, a few verses. I, I just had such a, a hunger to get God's word into my heart and mind. And, you know, as time goes on, that, that changes. But recently I was thinking about this. I was thinking, you know, um, when I go places now, you know, if I'm waiting somewhere, if I'm standing in line, if I'm, uh, you know, I'm doing just what everybody else is doing. And guess what that is? I got my phone out and I'm checking stuff, right? I'm checking Twitter and I'm checking Instagram and I'm checking my emails and of course texts come through and all of that. And you know, that's all fine. That's all good. Okay. But I have a, a Bible app on my phone and it's like, wow, I could just push on this app right here and I got, the, I got the word of God right in front of me. So instead of, as I'm bored, sitting there in the parking lot waiting for my wife to finish shopping, instead of endlessly scrolling through my Twitter feed, which I'm just reading the same thing over and over and over again, hoping for some new revelation to come across Twitter. I don't know what I'm looking for, but you know, it's, it's like oh, something. I can, I can read God's word. You see, because the thing is, as much as we can get God's word into our lives, it's the, to the degree that we get God's word into us that the transformation from grass to a tree is going to take place. So we've got to read God's word. But then the word meditate, we need to talk to ourselves about it. Like I said, instead of just rushing through it, we've got to stop and we've got to talk to ourselves. We've got to ask questions wow, you know, what was the original intent of the author? Who was he writing to? What were their circumstances? How does this apply to me in my life? How does it apply to the world that I live in? That's what the, the Bible is written uh, to have application from generation to generation, not just to the people that it was originally written to. So, but I've got to ask myself those questions. But here's another thing that we sometimes forget. We not only ask ourselves these things, but we can ask God. It's the amazing thing about the Bible is it's God's book. It's the greatest book in the world. There's nothing like it. And we have access to the author. 
So I can come as I'm reading through and as I'm pondering it, as I'm talking to myself about it, I can then turn and say, Lord, tell me more about this. Lord, speak to me about what this means and how it applies to my life. And guess what? God does that. That He does that. I, I can think of many times over the years where I, uh, you know, I've been perplexed by a passage and I've wondered, you know, what does this really mean? And I've struggled and maybe I've gone to commentaries or something to find, to get the insight. And, and there's been nothing there. But as I've waited and as I've prayed and as I've asked the author himself, the Lord gives me that understanding. But not just when it comes to perplexing text in the Bible do you get understanding, but when it comes to perplexing questions and issues in life, then that's where we go as well. Lord, I, here I am. I'm facing this. I, I'm, I'm confused about uh, what's going on here. I, I don't know what to do or what to think or how to react or, or whatever the case. God, would you speak to me? And you open up this book, and there it is. God is speaking to you. See, that's what happens as we meditate on God's word. So we read it. We talk to ourselves and to God about it. We study it. There could be no greater study. Oh, there's many things that you can study in the world, right? And there, there's some wonderful things that you can study. You can study science, you can study philosophy, you can study history, you can study technology. You know, there are many things that you can study and all of them will have some benefit, but there's no greater book to study than God's book. Because the benefits from studying God's book are not merely temporal, they are eternal. That's the one difference there. So for us to take the time to say, you know, I want to know what this particular book of the Bible is really all about. Do we think that way? I think for many, many Christians, it's pretty much left to, well, you know, I'll go to church on Sunday and the pastor will teach something and then I'll learn some more. And, or, you know, I might commit to a midweek study or something like that, or, you know, some even more diligent or zealous People would say, I'm going to go online, I'm going to listen to this teaching, I'm going to uh, subscribe to this podcast, and I'm going to go through this book. But, you know, all of us, we should be doing that to some degree. These books of the Bible, these are God's words. Do I know what it says? Do I know what it means? And the uh, spiritual anemia that many of us live with is really, it's a direct result of, of never having done that. So all of these things are included in this idea of meditating. And you would, I would add to it memorization. And the word here actually would imply memorization because it means to, to talk to yourself about it. You know, back in biblical times, they didn't have access to a Bible like we do today. Things were written on scrolls. And uh, they were not as easily accessible. So oftentimes what a person would do is when they got a chance to see the text, they would seek to memorize it. And that is what we need to do as well. David said in the 119th Psalm, and David um, writes that Psalm really as a dedication to the glory of God's word. It's the longest of the Psalms. It's actually the longest chapter in the Bible. And there he says, your word I have hidden in my heart. 
That's memorization. So committing God's word to memory, and as we commit it to memory, and as we recall it, and as we uh, just rehearse it, there, there's something so glorious about that. But with all of that, of course, is implied obedience to it. And I say this even though it sounds kind of like a no-brainer, but the, the fact of the matter is there are people who do know the Bible. There are people that have memorized uh, large portions of the text, but because they're, they're not submitted to it, it hasn't benefited them. They know what the Bible says, but because they have not obeyed it, they have never transitioned from grass to a tree, so to speak. And so this is how we do it. Blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law they meditate day and night, for they shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. You see, as we meditate on God's word, it's like the roots of a tree going down and becoming more and more firm and drawing from that source. The, the, the rivers of water is like, that, that's the source, God's, God's truth. And it's going into the roots of the tree and it's strengthening the tree so that it might bring forth fruit, notice this, in season. This is an important thing for us to understand. In the Christian life, just like life itself, there's seasons. And it's important that we don't have an unrealistic uh, expectation. The unrealistic expectation is that if I read God's word, if I meditate on it, I'm always going to be super joyful. I'm always going to be just filled with, with happiness and peace and kindness. And, and you know, I'm going to feel so close to God. That's going to be the result. That's sometimes we think that. But Timothy Keller said this in his book on prayer when he was talking about this very thing. He said, uh, here in the text, there's a note of realism. He said, notice that the tree bears fruit only in season, yet it never loses its leaves. Meditation leads to stability, but not to immunity or complete immunity anyway from suffering and dryness. We must not always expect meditation to lead to uniform experiences of joy and love. There are seasons for great delight, like springtime blossoms, uh, and for wisdom and maturity, like summertime fruit. However, there are also wintry times when we don't feel God to be close, though our roots may still be firmly in his truth. So often, this is the problem that I'm getting at here. So often, we gauge everything by how we feel. And if I don't, so here I am. I'm saying, okay, I gotta meditate on God's word. That's, that's right, that's true. So I'm gonna do that. I commit myself to that. Uh, but then I'm not feeling like, well, I'm doing this, but I don't feel like God's that close. So then I, I sort of draw back away from it. But we have to remember that it's not about necessarily always feeling that closeness to God. What it's really all about is the development of the deep roots and the fruit in our lives. 
And so the passage, let me emphasize instead of in season, let me emphasize brings forth fruit. You see, the promise is this. We're going to bring forth fruit. That's the promise. But we have to recognize there are seasons. Cheryl and I have this amazing uh, white meat peach tree in our backyard, and we have been enjoying the fruit of it the past few weeks. And we're going to probably have a few more days to enjoy the fruit. Because it's summertime, and that's when the, the tree bears fruit. But you know, we're going to go into the autumn, and all the leaves are going to fall off. And then in the winter, you're going to look at that tree, and just by looking at it, you would assume that nothing could ever grow on that tree. It's just like a stick. It's just wood. But you know, that's a season. And that's a necessary season. But in the springtime, the buds will be there again. And next summer, we will have that great fruit again. And see, our lives, we have to recognize, you know, there are seasons. And, and again, I'm saying this because we tend to get discouraged. If I'm not, it's like we want to live in a perpetual summertime. And if we're not in a perpetual state of summer, or maybe at least spring, we get discouraged and we think, well, you know, I don't know what's happening. God's not working. He's not hearing my prayers. He's not, but no, no, he is. He is. And the real fruit, although we love the, uh, you know, the idea of feeling close to God, and as wonderful as that is, the real fruit that comes from meditation is the character traits of Jesus Christ being developed in our lives. You see, that's the real fruit. Meditation bears fruit, which in the Bible means character traits such as love, joy, peace, patience, humility, self-control. Real meditation then does not merely make us feel close to God. Real meditation changes our lives. That's the big thing God wants to do. And you see, here's the funny thing. You might not feel the closeness to God, but you will notice, if you look closely, you know, my life is changing. And you might not feel close to God, and sometimes you might even not notice so much about the fact that your life is changing, but you know what? Other people notice it. You know, somebody pointed this out to me years ago. They said, Have, you know, a, a fruit tree doesn't eat itself. A fruit tree bears fruit for somebody else to partake of. And when, you know, at times we're, we're kind of almost like thinking in terms of, well, fruit means I'm going to have all of this feeling and all of that. But actually the fruit is somebody, somebody else is being blessed by it and benefited from it. So that's what we're really aiming at here. One writer said this, he said, the tree is no mere channel piping water unchanged from one place to another, but a living organism which absorbs it to produce in due course something new and delightful, proper to its kind and in its time. So here it is. We're back around to where we started. How do we go from being like grass to being like a tree? There's no way to go there except through the word of God. That's the only way. And as we give ourselves to God's word, as we give ourselves over to uh, this kind of um, meditation that he's talking about here, the guarantee is that they will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bearing fruit in the season. The leaf shall not wither. You know, we're talking about an evergreen here. You know, we sometimes, 
walk around the world. We, we, you know how people say, well, there's no God. I don't believe there's a God, all of that kind of stuff. If, if we only knew everything that's going on in nature and the people who do know it and still don't acknowledge there's a God, that's kind of a crazy thing. But you know that the leaves on the trees, do you know how important those are? You know, we couldn't exist if there were no plants. And not merely for the sake of eating them. I mean, we eat a lot of plants, right? But do you know what those leaves are doing? Those leaves are taking the carbon dioxide out of the air because that's what they live on. And they are reproducing oxygen and putting it out into the atmosphere because that's what we live on. So think about that spiritually. You see, even in those times, even in the seasons when maybe it's not, it's not springtime or harvest, it's not summertime, the fruit's not there, but the leaves are there and they're putting forth oxygen. They're putting forth life. Look, when your life is planted in God's word, whatever season it is, you're going to be putting forth life you're going to be that source of life. And man, the world we live in is a world that's suffocating because of sin. And we need to be the ones emitting that, that oxygen of life to the world. So as we close, here's the word. You know, the longer I live and go on in ministry, the more convinced I am that this book, the Bible, which is the word of God, is the greatest force for good in the world. You know, when you, when you look at the Bible, when you read the Bible, it, it, the world is exactly what the Bible says it is. Men are exactly what the Bible tells us they are. And as we look at the mess that we find ourselves in on planet Earth these days, it just seems to be going from bad to worse. The Bible not only diagnoses the problem, the Bible tells us the remedy to the problem. So listen, we've got the answer. The church has the answer. God wants his church to be like those leaves, just emitting that oxygen out into the culture. But we can only do that if we are nourished ourselves. If we are those who are meditating in God's word. And listen, the more we do that, it's a twofold benefit. It benefits you personally, and it benefits everybody around you. So may God help us. The more one's life is immersed in it, the more blessed one will be. And that's how the psalm started. Remember, blessed is the man. We talked about blessing a few weeks ago. Let me remind you what blessed is. It's peace and well-being in every dimension of life. Just like a tree that stands firm and bears fruit rather than grass that withers and fade, so will the man or woman be whose delight is in the law of the Lord. So God help us. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, that we have your word. And Lord, we have to probably confess that we have not taken to heart as we should the wonder of it all that we have your word that you've given it to us that you've you've made it available to us lord we are such 
a rich people and we don't even know it sometimes because we have the word of the living God, the most valuable thing on the planet. We have it right in front of us. Lord, help us not only not to neglect it, but help us to just consume it. Help us, Lord, to be the person that you're describing here in Psalm 1, the person who delights in your word and meditates in it day and night. Lord, that we would be like a tree, not like grass, like a tree that's stable and permanent and fruitful and life-giving. That's our prayer. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.